Well, welcome. Good morning to Long Crendon Baptist Church. Good morning to this Palm Sunday service. Good to see everybody and welcome also to everybody at home watching from home. Uh, look forward to the time where you come in and be with us face to face. So good morning. Hello, everybody. Now, this morning we're, um, we're focusing on Psalm 116. It's a beautiful psalm and uh, I'm going to read just a couple of verses from that. Uh, Cal will be speaking on praising the Lord for his deliverance because that's what we're celebrating at Easter, isn't it? Our, our deliverance from death. Let me, let me read uh, these two opening verses and then I'll pray. I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. Let's pray. Lord God, we're here this morning to say that we love you. We thank you that you hear our voices when we pray. Thank you, Lord, that when we cry out for mercy, you hear us. And we just thank you for that, Lord, and we love you for that. Thank you that you've turned your ear to us. And help us, Lord. We want to call on you every day of our lives. And this morning, as we come here to praise you, to pray to you, to hear your word preached, we pray, Lord, that you would inspire us, that you would speak to us, and that we would hear from you as well, as Cal speaks later. We just offer this uh, whole service to you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be ministering to us, lifting us up, encouraging us, comforting us, convicting us of sin, Lord, if that's what we need, helping us to be bold. Lord, would you come in power this morning and would you have your way with us, each one of us, Lord, and may our minds and our hearts be open to receive more of you today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. 
I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from chains. I will sacrifice the thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Lovely. Thank you, Isabel. Morning, everyone. Uh, It's good to be with you all. Let's um, pray, shall we, before we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can take this time now uh, out of our busy weeks and out of all that's going on in the world to spend time hearing from you. Uh, Lord, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for what you're going to teach us through it. Lord, I pray you would help me uh, proclaim your word boldly and faithfully, and you would give us all hearts that are willing to be moved, hearts that are willing to be changed by the power of your spirit. So Lord, we thank you, and we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we begin this morning, uh, I wonder how you would answer this question. Uh, How much do you love God? Not not in general, but this morning here, Sunday the 10th of April, how much do you love God? Maybe there's some of us out here this morning that would say, actually, I'm in a really good place at the moment. I really do love God. The Lord. Life is good. I've had my prayer answered. Every time I open my Bible, it's, it seems to, to sing to me. You love the Lord. Maybe you're not quite there. Maybe you know and trust in Jesus for yourself, but you're not overflowing with love as maybe you once were. Life might be tricky. Maybe the, the joys of being a Christian that once thrilled you maybe seem a bit far off and distant. You want to love the Lord, but sometimes it can feel like a chore at times. And there may be some of you are here this morning, and you can't quite understand how anyone could love God. You've got friends and family, maybe, who would say they would, but you just can't see why or how that could be possible. Maybe you're somewhere in between some of those. And I'm not sure where you might be this morning, but one thing we can be sure of is where the writer of Psalm 116 is. He begins the psalm, look down with me, verse 1, with a big claim. I love the Lord. Now this psalmist, we don't know exactly who he is, but he sets out his position right at the very start. He loves the Lord. And as we see, this love isn't a a choice that he's made. It's It's a response to what's happened to him. This is a very personal psalm. It's almost his his testimony of what God has done for him. And and the psalmist writes this to to share his experience with us, the reader, in order to help us love God more. So as we look through this psalm together, that's my prayer for us all. As we see what he's done for us, and as we see what it looks like to love him in practice. This psalm is split into two main sections that we're going to be exploring together. Firstly, the writer gives his reasons as to why he loves the Lord. And in the second half, he describes what this love looks like in practice. Why should we love God? And what does it look like to love God? Here's the first thing. We love God because he saves. We love the Lord because he saves. I'm sure there are a few of us here who've been involved in some near-death experiences at some point. Uh, Maybe an accident, maybe an illness that has caused you to, to consider the reality of death. Maybe you've been thinking of that recently. Or maybe you've just been in a really low place in your life. 
You're struggling and there seems to be no way out. Well, see, that's exactly the kind of place where the psalmist is. Look at what he says in, in verse 3. He says, the cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. It's pretty vivid language, isn't it? We don't exactly know what was going on in his life, but whatever it was, it was serious and, and seemingly life-threatening. Could have been illness, could have been enemies, we're not sure. He says, the cords of death entangled me. You can imagine it, it's a little bit like this, right? We've all seen pictures of this, sea creatures being tangled up in plastic waste that's left in the oceans. As they try to wrestle free, it just gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And that's what the psalmist is feeling. He's feeling like he's trapped. He's feeling like death is on its way and there's no escape for him. There's nothing he can do about it. He's entangled. He's, he's helpless. He's feeling the anguish of the grave. He's faced with death and he's in deep distress because of it. He's overcome with sorrow. He's the, right at the end of his tether. His language here is such a vivid picture of how difficult, how bad life can be at sometimes. Maybe you felt a little bit like this in the past. Maybe you're feeling like this right now. See, the Bible doesn't ever shy away from acknowledging that life can be like this. One of the most amazing things about the Psalms is they are brutally honest about the reality of what life can be like. If you can relate to what the psalmist says here this morning, then hopefully as we go through this, you'll be encouraged that there is hope when we feel like this. doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. doesn't mean you've not got enough faith. It's just what life is like. But there is hope. So the psalmist is facing this dire situation. And what does he do? Look what he says in verse 4. He says, then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. In his deepest and darkest moment, what does he do? He calls on the name of the Lord. He cries out in prayer. You can picture it, right? Can't you? He's down on his knees. He's got nothing left. And he just cries out, Lord, save me. I love this. Notice he he doesn't pray some big elaborate prayer using all the correct biblical words, theological terms. He simply cries out, Lord, save me. It's such a a wonderfully simple prayer. He he doesn't go and explain exactly how he wants to be saved, all the ways that he wants it to happen. He just knows he needs saving. He just wants saved. Samus calls out to the Lord. And what happens? Well, as we see, as he said at the beginning in verse 1 and 2, he says, he loves the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I'll call on him as long as I live. The Lord listened to his cry. He listens and he acts. The Lord doesn't always act in the way that we want to, but on this occasion he listens and he does do what the psalmist wants. Look what he says in verse 5 and 6. He said, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Because of God's grace and his compassion, he saves him. When the psalmist was at his very lowest, when he was down and out, the Lord stepped in and saved him. Because of the Lord's compassion, he reached in to a situation and brought him out of it. 
The psalmist says the same thing again in verse 8. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He's been saved from death so that he can live life again. It's a great story of rescue. It reminds me of some of the great rescue stories that we've heard in recent years. Here are a couple. Uh, you might remember them. The one at the top, remember the Chilean mining disaster a few years ago? Um, miners were down, stuck after um, one of the um, tunnels collapsed. 33 men trapped underground. And eventually, after 69 days, they were all freed. It captured everyone's imagination. It was everywhere. It was an amazing story of rescue. And the one down below, remember that? The Thai junior football team, they went down exploring in some caves. The heavy rainfall came, the caves flooded, and they were stuck there. The team of young boys stuck for 18 days until they were able to be freed. It's an amazing story. We love these kind of stories, don't we? They're brilliant. There's the danger, there's the worry, and then the triumphant rescue at the end of it. But for the first readers of this psalm, there's, there's one place where their minds would go straight away. The exodus. The escape from Egypt. God saving his people when they're at their lowest. Enslaved to a foreign power by taking them out of Egypt through a mighty act of deliverance. See, these psalms that we've been looking at in the run-up to Easter were sung when the people celebrated that great deliverance at the Passover festival. Delivery from their greatest enemy into the promised land. See, this psalm fits perfectly into that singing of their deliverance from their enemies. But see, the significance of this psalm is it's much greater than it just being a, a story telling of a great rescue that happened to some people thousands of years ago. Now, this psalm takes on an extra meaning when we put it in the context of Jesus and the Last Supper. So as we've seen in previous weeks, Jesus and his disciples in those final hours before his death would have been singing these psalms that we've been looking at together. And in fact, in Mark 14, it says that after they shared a meal, just before they went out into the garden, they sang a hymn. Uh, and the great likelihood is it would have been this psalm, Psalm 116, the one they would have been singing just as Jesus went out into the garden. Jesus would have been singing these words as he was heading out to be arrested. Jesus, in his moment of great distress, when the cords of death entangled him, when the anguish of the grave was over him, what did he sing? I love the Lord. How, how could he have been able to sing that? Even facing imminent death, he was able to sing, I love the Lord. How wonderful is that? Even though he knew what he was facing, he could still say that he loved the Father. Why? Because he knew what was to come was meant to be. He knew that he had to face death. And as he cried out in the garden to have the cup of wrath taken from him, he himself wasn't delivered from death, even though eventually we know that he would be. But instead he willingly followed God's direction so that we could be delivered from death. You see, we might not be facing imminent death here, sitting in a lovely church building, surrounded by friends and family, but spiritually, the reality is we're all in the same place as the psalmist. We are all entangled by the cords of death. We're all by nature 
deserving of the righteous wrath of God for our sin, for our rejection of him. That's our state. That's the reality. The Bible says that's who we are. We're helpless to fix that problem by ourselves. Just like that turtle. There's nothing we can do ourselves. We need someone to rescue us. But the wonderful thing is that Jesus, as he went through that ordeal in the garden, as he was beaten, as he was mocked, as he was abused, as he was led to the top of that hill and nailed to a cross, he took the death that we deserved so that we could be delivered from it. By taking the punishment on himself, he saved us. See, this is the greatest rescue now. Not the exodus from Egypt, but deliverance of God's people from death. Deliverance from death into life, real life, now in a relationship with the creator of the world and eternal life with Jesus in glory. That's what we've been delivered into. How do we receive this? Well, simply by trusting in him and calling out, just as the psalmist did, Lord, save me. It's really that straightforward. By faith, we can be recipients of this divine deliverance through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Yes, our human bodies will fade. We will die physically, but our souls will be saved forever. So as we read this psalm and we look through it, it it takes on a whole new meaning. As we put ourselves into the psalm, we can say, we love you, Lord, because you've saved us. I love you, Lord, because you have delivered me from death. You have shown me grace and compassion. Lord, you have been good to me. We love the Lord because he has saved us. Take a moment just to consider how huge that is. You have been saved. As we move into the second half of the psalm, we're going to see how the psalmist responds to this deliverance. He loves the Lord. We're going to see what this love then looks like in action. We're going to see we love the Lord through wholehearted worship. So the psalmist has explained his situation, how God in his goodness has delivered him from it. And then look at verse 12. Look at the question he asks. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? See, he's trying to work out how can he possibly repay God for saving him? And it's almost like a a rhetorical question because the reality is there's, there's nothing that can even come close. God has saved his life. There's nothing that can top that. And the same is true for us. Jesus was willing to pay the greatest price to save us, to give his life. There's no price greater than that. There's nothing we can do to, to pay back the free gift of grace that we have received. We can't even come close. Thankfully, though, we, we don't have to pay it back. But as the psalmist goes on to describe, even though he can't come close to repaying it in full, he still wants to do all he can to love the Lord because of what he's done for him. Because love isn't just a, a feeling, is it? Love isn't just something that you think or you feel. Love is, is active. 
it's, it's a commitment. Real love of someone or something leads to action, right? That I could say, I love my wife, Tash. But if behind the scenes I treat her horribly, I don't lift a finger around the house, if I badmouth her to other people, then that's not really love, is it? If you say you love your friends, but then don't go out of your way to, to care for them, to look after them when they need it, then do you really love them? If you say you love your kids, but ignore them and neglect them, then that's not love. If you say you love your parents, but aren't willing to spend time with them and look after them as they get old, then that's not really love. You see, it's easy to say we love someone, but real love needs action. So when the psalmist says that he loves the Lord, he doesn't just say it. We see in the second half that his love of the Lord changes his whole life. His whole life is lived differently in, in praise and adoration for what God has done for him. Look down at these next few verses, verse 13 and 14. We'll pick up a few of the things that he says. Verse 13, first thing, he will lift up the cup of salvation. See, this phrase is, the, is kind of the opposite to the cup of God's wrath that's, that's mentioned several times in the Old Testament. He's uh, kind of saying he, he will lift up what God has done for him. He'll raise it above everything else. This is the most important thing to him. This is what's most important. Keep looking through. What is it? He'll he'll call on the name of the Lord. He will will sing his praises. He'll pray to him, giving him direct praise and thanks for what he's done. Look, what else? He will fulfill his vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. He's obviously made a, a promise to the Lord, to commit to, to living for him. This isn't just going to be a little side part of his life. No, this is a, a full life commitment that he's serious about. Where, does he, where is he going to do those things? In the presence of all his people. This isn't something he's just going to, going to keep to himself. But he's going to live in response to what God, God has done in front of everyone. It's, it's, it's very easy, isn't it, to keep our love of the Lord to ourselves or at least keep it contained to Sunday morning isn't it in a world that that doesn't share our love of the Lord even remotely it can be tough to to live that out it's it's really challenged me as I've prepared this to ask the question what does it what does it look like for us what does it look like to make our love for Jesus so obvious that everyone can see it if we truly say we love the Lord, then surely everything we'll do, everything we do, will be in light of that. I wonder, would would your work colleagues say that you love Jesus? Would your classmates say that you love Jesus, or do you just go along to church and hang out with other Christians? Would your kids say that you love Jesus as much, if not more, than them? You see, it's easy to see when someone loves something like a sports team, isn't it? They'll wear the kit. They'll constantly be talking about the latest game or the transfer news of what's going on. They'll talk about it every opportunity, right? It's obvious. It's obvious when um, someone loves their grandkids. They'll be talking about them when they last saw them. They'll get the phone out, show you the pictures of them. When someone loves something, they, they can't help but speak of it. It comes out at every opportunity, Let's be a people who, who so obviously love Jesus that it, that it shapes 
everything we do. Our words, our actions, our thoughts, particularly in front of others. As we keep reading down, we get to this little seemingly strange verse, verse 15. Look what it says. It says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servant. It seems at the first reading that God delights when people die. And actually, a better translation of that verse is almost costly in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servant. What it's saying is God wants to preserve life because death is so costly to him. It's painful. God is a God of life, and that's why he has given away for everyone to be delivered from death. Let's see what else the psalmist goes on to say. What is his response to this deliverance? Look at verse 16. What he says, he's a a servant. He wants to obey what the Lord says, to live in a way which the Lord commands, to, to serve, to give himself in service of the Lord. And then in verse 17, what he says, a sacrifice Sacrifice a thank offering to him. He's going to make a sacrifice to do a costly act of worship. Giving himself as a servant and giving what he has as a sacrifice. See, to love Jesus is to make sacrifices. See, true love is costly, right? We know that. Loving someone means giving yourself up for them, putting them first, putting their needs above your own. That's what true love is. And Jesus says, if we want to follow him, if we truly love him, then we will take up our cross and we'll follow him. See, we need to be willing to count that cost, to be willing to to be a servant, to make ourselves less and to make Jesus more because of what he's done. To be willing maybe to sacrifice our comfort, our safety, our security even, in order to demonstrate our love and commitment to Jesus. Now that might look different for each of us, but it's something that we're called to do. If I look at verse 17 and 18, it kind of repeats again, and he'll call on the name of the Lord and he will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. He's sort of repeating what he said again. It's like he's coming back and saying, I'm going to do this again and again and again, always. For the rest of my life. It's not just it's a one-off kind of moment of loving the Lord. It's a, it's a full life commitment day after day. Paul, as he writes his letter to the Roman church, kind of sums up what all of these things the writer said are, are like in, in chapter 12, verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, in view of his deliverance and his rescue of you from your sin through the Lord Jesus, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, give everything you have, your entire being to the Lord in worship. Every part of you, every action, every word, every day, everything can be an act of worship, can be an outpouring of love for what Jesus has done for you. The thing is, though, 
none of these things can be sort of drummed up inside us within ourselves. We can't sit here and say, oh, well, I'm going to try extra hard this week to, to go and love Jesus. I'm going to make it really obvious to love Jesus by trying really hard to love him more. Right? That's not how it works. We've all tried that at some point. We know that when we try things in our own strength, when we do that, we're going to fail because we are weak. The only way, as the verse says, is through the renewal of our minds. In other words, being constantly reminded of what Jesus has done. Having, having the saving work of Jesus at the forefront of our minds. Remembering who he is and what he's done. Remembering us and our state before the Lord. Remembering that every day. It's wonderful at Easter, isn't it? As we get to spend so much time thinking about Jesus, about his death and his resurrection. But let's not go through next week, go through next Sunday, enjoy our Easter eggs, maybe have a nice roast and leave the cross behind. Let's have the the wondrous story of our deliverance at the front of our minds always. Let's have it ringing in our ears day after day because we need to be reminded always. See, we don't choose to love Jesus more. The way we love Jesus more is by reminding ourselves of what he has done for us. Reminding ourselves of our state and reminding ourselves how he rescued us from it. The more we do that, the more we're likely to overflow with love in every area of our lives. So I hope you don't come away from this morning thinking you have to go and love Jesus more. But leave here with your eyes fixed on the cross. Your means of deliverance. How you have been rescued. We love God because he has delivered us from death. He has saved us. And we show this love by living lives that are dedicated to him. Not because our deliverance is based on how we live because it is an outpouring of love for what he has done for us. It's wonderful. Let me pray. And Heavenly Father, we, we love you because you first loved us. We love you because you have saved us. We love you because you have listened to our cry and have delivered us from the punishment of death that we we truly deserve. Lord, thank you. How can we ever thank you enough? Lord, help us to have the wonderful saving work of Jesus ringing from our lips and in our ears at all times. Lord, help us to keep remembering what he's done for us. Help us to love you more and as part of that, for that love to overflow into every area of our lives, to want to live for you to be committed to living for you in every way, living lives that that honour you and point others to Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for the saving work of Jesus. Help us in his name. Amen. Amen. It's good to be reminded today, isn't it, that we are saved from death by our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful, isn't it? And what's our simple response? It's just to praise his name forevermore. That's what we want to do today, isn't it?
So I thought we'd close the service today just with some prayers. I'm going to use Psalm 16 just to structure our intercessions today. So let's uh, close our eyes, be still, and let's just end this service uh, in prayer. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that you hear our voice. When we turn to you in prayer, we thank you that you hear. Thank you that you hear us when we cry out for mercy. And Lord, we do cry out to you for mercy for ourselves, for our families, and for the world that we live in. We cry out for mercy. Lord, there are so many in our world where the cords of death are entangling them. There are many overcome with trouble and sorrow. And Father, we pray in particular for those made homeless by war, by war in Ukraine, but also all over the world, by the millions of refugees, Lord, fleeing all sorts of trouble. Lord, have mercy. And may they turn to you, Jesus, those who are struggling in darkness, entangled. May they turn to you, Jesus, in their desperation. May they find your love. And Lord, would you raise up your people? Would you raise up us to open up our homes, to provide whatever it takes, Lord, for those in need? Lord, have mercy. Lord, you are gracious and Righteous and full of compassion, you protect and you save. You provide rest for our souls. Lord, may we leave this place today peaceful, despite what we're going through, despite what we see in this world. Help us to trust you and send us out to be your light in the darkness. You, O Lord, have delivered our souls from death. You keep our eyes from tears and our feet from stumbling. May we walk closely with you, Lord Jesus, every minute of every day of our lives. And Lord, we do pray for those who are sick or bereaved and need your comfort. May you fill their hearts with peace as they learn to trust you with their lives and with their health. Thank you, Jesus, that you have conquered death so that we do not need to fear. And Father, we ask that you bring people into our lives, people who need you. We pray that you would help us to be bold, help us to share the hope that we have in you. Lord, bless our holiday club coming up after Easter. Bless our outreach events, the various courses that we're doing. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the people you want us to invite. And Lord, we accept and we acknowledge that on our own we can do nothing. But we can ask our friends. We can ask our family to come and see to come and meet you, Jesus. It's you alone who changes hearts. And we pray that you will move powerfully in the hearts of those that we love. May they really experience your love in their hearts, Lord Jesus. 
And Holy Spirit, we ask that you show us how to lead lives for you. Lord, we cannot repay you for all the goodness that you've given to us. We're your servants and we offer you our thanks and our praise today. Please send us out this week to serve those in our communities. And we ask these in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.